0: Hello, and
1: welcome to New World Coming, produced by The People's
2: Forum.
3: Hello, and welcome to the sixth episode of New World Coming, a political education interview series produced by The People's Forum. In today's interview, James Early talks with Esteban Morales-Dominguez, author, social scientist, and militant activist, who has been part of building a socialist project since the triumph of the Cuban revolution in 1959. In this episode, they discuss the historical legacy of slavery and colonialism on the island and its effects on black Cubans today. They also discuss the importance of addressing racism and discrimination on the island through scientific analysis and approaches that take into account Cuba's material reality. Esteban walks us through the contradictions among the people that arise when an alternative to capitalism is being built under the duress of six decades of a U.S. blockade. When a society is based on a fundamentally different principles than capitalist ones, the structures of the state have a fundamentally different relationship to its people. Above all, Esteban discusses how Cuba has been working to deepen the revolution by creating the material conditions for ideological and cultural change to advance and progress. Subscribe to our YouTube channel to see more educational and cultural content and follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook to stay updated on future events and episodes. Thank you and enjoy the interview.
2: Welcome to this edition of the People's Forum Political Education Interview Series, New World Coming. My name is James Early, and I'm your host. We are pleased to welcome Dr. Esteban Morales-Dominguez from Havana, Cuba, distinguished economist, political scientist, and author of the most important perspectives on the nexus of national identity, racial identity, class identity and policy implications in the struggle against racism, which has been identified in Cuba today, both by Cuban citizens, the Cuban government and the Cuban communist party. Welcome Esteban. Well, I believe that first
0: of all, we must make a certain historical introduction to know at what point we are in, in regards to those political democratic and social aspects, which James introduces. First of all, It must be said that the problems of racism and racial discrimination that still exist in Cuba were not brought by the Cuban revolution. They were already here more than 500 years ago because we come historically from a colonial slave regime, from a Spanish colonial slave regime that began between the end of the 15th century and the beginning of the 16th century. When the Spaniards arrived in Cuba, they arrived fundamentally with the interest of obtaining certain riches, gold in particular. And in that way, they used the indigenous population, the native population of the island as slave labor. However, when sugar production emerged, that is when the black slaves arrived in Cuba, because the slaves, the black people that arrived in Cuba, the first ones that arrived actually came from Spain. They were called Ladinos. They had a certain culture acquired in Spain, and they also spoke Spanish, and they came as servants of the Spanish colonizers. That was the first black population in Cuba. The black population began to arrive massively in Cuba since the Haitian Revolution took place. Haiti lost the markets of coffee and sugar, and then black slaves began to be imported to Cuba for sugar production. But it must be said that the Spaniards did not bring women with them. In the beginning, in the colonization, men came alone, and therefore, almost immediately, the Spaniards began to mix with the indigenous and with the blacks. As a result, in addition to the slave population, a mestizo population emerged in Cuba. As a result of the relations between the Spaniards and the black and mestizo women, and so a population emerged in Cuba that became increasingly complex, made up of black enslaved people, free black people who from the beginning of the 16th century were able to buy their freedom and a mixed population. That is a mestizo population that sometimes was free and sometimes was also enslaved.
2: Esteban, as a Cuban citizen, uh, a social scientist, an expert on uh, U.S.-Cuba relations, uh, a member of the Communist Party, how do you identify racially and why? I identify myself in racial terms as black.
0: My parents are black and I am black. And so that's how I racially identify myself. And that's also where my culture comes from initially. Now, what happens with the black population in Cuba? The black population in Cuba comes from slavery. That is its origin. And it really has to be said that 500 years of slavery cannot be solved in a little more than 60 years of political change in Cuba. That is to say, in 1902, blacks in Cuba suffered a lot from racial discrimination. The Republic, established at that time, reinforced racial discrimination in Cuba and reinforced the burdens left by slavery. It was only after 1959 that the situation gradually began to change, particularly Fidel, already in 1960 in March 1960, spoke of the problems, of the need to abolish racial discrimination. And the first thing he did in his speeches was to try by all means to give black people the possibility of having jobs, something very important, because it was very difficult for the black population in Cuba to have a job. The American companies did not employ black people in Cuba. The Cuban telephone companies and electricity companies in Cuba did not employ black people and many American companies did not employ black people. Black people from the beginning of the republic had the lowest paying jobs, the hardest, the most difficult, like cane cutting, carpentry, masonry, construction in general, work in the fields. That is why the black population that we find in Cuba since the beginning of the republic is a black population mostly employed in the worst jobs and in the least lucrative economic activities and in the least lucrative jobs. And furthermore, When a study was conducted of that population in the Republic, it was found that it was a population with a high level of illiteracy. There were very few Black people who could study, and even at the beginning of the 20th century, Black people could not go to school. That started to change little by little afterwards. But Black people could not go to school. They could not receive training. Very few Black people already within the Republic were able to go to universities and were able to get certain better jobs. But in general, the black population was full of poverty, illiteracy, because in Cuba, in the Cuban Republican regime, the distribution was extraordinarily unequal, the distribution of wealth. Therefore, wealth was generally white and poverty was almost always black. And that was the reality of the black population in Cuba, even during the republic. That is the situation that was there and that was intact upon the triumph of the revolution in 1959 with the black population in Cuba. That is to say, the blacks in Cuba continue to suffer difficulties and problems that come from a long time ago. They come from a situation of poverty in which they are still, in a certain way, reproducing phenomena that were typical phenomena of slavery.
2: The Communist Party of Cuba has come around to acknowledging that for many years, the issue of racial identity and racism were taboo issues, having declared that racism had uh, Been um, overcome as a result of opening up uh, the country by way of law to all of its uh, citizens. 62 years now into the Cuban Revolution, are we at a critical moment, a new, unprecedented moment of discussions uh, among Cuban citizens, uh, the Cuban Communist Party, uh, the Cuban government about the nexus of? racial and national identity, uh, anti-racism, and the development of socialism. There are examples like the Union of Artists and Writers, projects that, uh, around Color Cubano, uh, Gisela Arandia, um, who developed that project, around the contemporary expression of the uh, Jose Aponte Committee Against Racism and Discrimination. And a deed around the uh, organized commission of President Diaz-Canal who has established a committee against racism and discrimination and who convenes and presides over that committee interacting with uh, civil society, interacting with uh, departments of government, tourism, the police and others about racial implication. Is this a new, unprecedented moment in Cuba?
0: First of all, when the revolution triumphed in Cuba, there were one million illiterate people, and the vast majority of those people were blacks and peasants. They were not people who lived in the cities. Secondly, we had a population made up of whites, or so-called whites, because I always say that the Spaniards came to Cuba with white credentials, and that's how they stayed. But the Spaniards are not white, for a very simple reason, because of 400 years of Arab colonization. They will never be white anymore. But the most important thing is that they came to us with the sword, the cross, and the horses. That is, with the symbols of power within the colony, and therefore it mattered little that they were white or that they were not white. But from the point of view of racial identity, the Spaniards are not white. They came with those credentials and stayed that way. It is important to keep this in mind because the problem of whiteness or blackness in Cuba from the beginning is a lot of hypocrisy and a lot of self-assumption, and a lot of what happened to the Cuban identity when the Cuban nation began to be formed. First of all, there were two forms of slavery, plantation slavery and house slavery, that is, in the master's house. Plantation slavery was hard, rigorous, and was enforced with great force. But the other form of slave labor was mainly in the house of the Spanish landowner. Here, the black man had more opportunities. For what reason? Because sometimes a black child, maybe the girl of the house, got fond of him and taught him to read and write. And not infrequently, the Creole landowner, the white man in the house, when he was ready to die, granted the slave his freedom. And so he has the possibility of being free that black people in domestic slavery was also always threatened by the possibility that if he did not comply with something or he wasn't spoken to, did something he wasn't supposed to, he would be sent to the plantation or sent to the stocks as punishment. In other words, in reality, he was still a slave, but he had greater possibilities than the plantation slave. So therefore, that diverse population that was there in 1950, as a result of the way in which employment was managed during the Republic, when the revolution triumphed, the greatest number of unemployed were black. The greatest number of illiterate people were black. The greatest number of poor people were black. And all that was dragged into and deepened within the republic. Therefore, that is the reason why in March 1960, when Fidel talked about the problem of racial discrimination and racism in Cuba, the first thing he talked about was the need for blacks to be given work. And then a process began in which, first of all, blacks were able to go to school and even get to college. Secondly, they could have a decent job. And sometimes they weren't bank employees, but they could be employed. They could be a teacher. They could have a relatively decent job with a good salary. I mean, the black person, little by little, began to emerge as a citizen with certain possibilities. In Cuba, education became free. And therefore, there were no limitations to go to school other than the possibilities that one already had at the time of introduction. But then came also free health care. And therefore, the possibility that all people could receive medical care regardless of their skin color, social status, or economic situation. It must be said that this was not done directly for blacks. It was done directly for the whole Cuban society. And the blacks, as part of the society, benefited. Now in any case, even though we have free education and free healthcare, we have problems today in Cuba that speak fundamentally to the burdens of slavery. To start, black people tend to have shorter lifespans than white people. Secondly, blacks have fewer possibilities to go to university. Thirdly, black people sometimes do not take enough advantage of free public healthcare. This means that the black person still drags the situation with them dragging a situation in which they may not be able to go to university. Because he has a family that is poorer, and maybe he got to eighth grade, and then he had to start working to help the family. And even though, let's say in college, if you have a difficult family economic situation, the university gives you a loan to survive, and then you pay that loan with the work that you do as an employee after graduating from college. Anyway, that is an element that undoubtedly represents a disadvantage for the black person. That is to say, for black people in Cuban society today, despite all that the revolution has done in Cuba to equalize the entire population, the black person is still at a disadvantage. This even includes the fact that black women are more likely to die in childbirth and have their child die in their first few months than white women are. This has been clearly and statistically proven to be the case. And these are the burdens that we still have from slavery, which can only be solved with the advancement of culture, education, science, and little by little, this population will have access to these possibilities and these capabilities. That is the reason why racism and racial discrimination still exist in Cuba, and that is still expressed in a certain attitude towards blacks and in a certain disadvantage of blacks in social life and in self-esteem. Therefore, to defend the revolution and what the revolution has done for the black person by saying that in Cuba, there is no racial discrimination and there is no racism is a big lie. It is a big lie. In Cuba, there is still racism and there is still racial discrimination. And there are still racists and there are still people who discriminate against blacks, regardless of the fact that I believe that the country has made a lot of progress from that point of view. But these are the problems that have to be solved. And that is the reason why community projects exist. There are unions and other cultural institutions. There is a government resolution to fight against racism and racial discrimination. There is the Comisión Aponte, which aims precisely to fight against racism and racial discrimination in culture. And there are a number of possibilities to fight. But there are still a number of problems to fight. There are still people who discriminate against blacks. There are still blacks who see themselves as diminished. And within that, there is a problem of self-esteem because they have to do with the family in which they lived, the circumstances in which they lived. I can say that, and I say it very clearly and with good reason, because I was a black son of a carpenter and a housewife and grandmothers who were domestic servants, maids. And I was born in the last room of a provincial nursery in Cardenas, so I lived that life. However, you can say I was a lucky black person because I entered a contest and won a scholarship to study at the best Catholic school in my town, the Reverend Trinidadarian Fathers in Cardenas. There, I studied practically until the fourth year of high school. I lived in a school environment where there were only four blacks, and I was one of them, with excellent teachers because the priests were very good teachers, very good teachers. And when the revolution triumphed, I was able to enter the university in 1962, and in 1964, I started working there as a student assistant, and when I graduated in 1969, I remained as a teacher at the university. But that is my origin, and there are many people who have my origin and who manage to advance, but there are still others who have been left behind. There are others who have been left behind, and they have been left behind, not because the opportunities do not exist, but because it is one thing for the opportunities to exist and another thing of taking advantage of those opportunities. There are people in Cuba who are not in a position to take advantage of the opportunities that the country gives them to study, to cultivate themselves, to develop culturally. Fidel did a very important task in the 80s. Fidel was aware of that problem because Fidel continually talked about that problem about the racial problem, and about the capacity or the inability of the blacks to go to school, technical school, university, etc. So there were certain important differences with respect to the black population in Havana. At one point in Havana, there were 80,000 young people who neither studied nor worked, and the vast majority were black. So Fidel created what was called Trabajadores Sociales. And there are many of those social workers who got into college. And in fact, one of the things that really drove the work against racial discrimination is that in the 1980s, when the crisis of 1989 to 1994 took place, we realized that those who had suffered the most from that crisis were black and mixed race people because they were the ones who had the least opportunities and had the least capacity to take advantage of the opportunities. And that is the reason why we in Cuba still have the problems I mentioned. The black person comes from a race that was enslaved, that suffered a lot. And when they had their children, those children inherited all that, all that suffering, all that incapacity. They inherited all those problems. And that is the reason why in Cuba, blacks still die
2: first. Can you speak with more precision about what is actually happening now within the Cuban Communist Party and within the Cuban government? on issues of racial identity, uh, racism, anti-racism, and national development.
0: The debate has been growing. I have met people who have told me that the racial debate should not be public. And I have also met people, and there are articles that reflect this, who say that blacks cannot be and are not decent, unlike whites, and that blacks are not intelligent, unlike whites. And there are still discriminations that a black man cannot marry a white woman. And when we would go out on the street, my wife and I, people would look at us. We got married years ago in the 70s. Some people looked at us with astonishment. Some black people looked at me. They looked at me saying, look, when he acquired a social position, he went on to marry a white woman. And some white people maybe would say, look, That white woman married to that black man must be a prostitute, and that black man must be a millionaire. That is to say, those are the prejudices and situations that exist and still exist in Cuba. And there is a great debate about all that. And this debate is promoted by community projects in different groups. It is promoted by the Comisión Aponte and by the Government Resolution Against Racism and Racial Discrimination. It has to be reflected more in the press. It has to be more reflected more on television. It has to be reflected more in the written press. It has to be reflected more in the debate within the assemblies held in Cuba. The debate on this problem should be more and more public. And Cuban society must increasingly more and more face this debate and discuss this problem. And that is extraordinarily important. And the Cuban government, which is the first ally in this debate, and the first to promote it, it means that black people have the government as their first ally in the first place, because in terms of health, education, culture, it does not discriminate against us. On the contrary, all this is for the entire Cuban population. And as for the promotion of the debate and the need to finally solve the problems of racism and racial discrimination in Cuba, the government is also an ally of the blacks and mestizos. Now there is also a debate that has a negative side. The negative part is that the counter-revolution uses the problems that have to do with racial discrimination to subvert Cuban society. The racial issue is a very sensitive issue, very important for Cuban society. And there are those who dedicate themselves to wielding it as an issue to divide Cuban society and to seek to influence Cuba and to seek the possibility of a counter-revolutionary phenomenon taking place in Cuba. And that is the reason why we have to write a lot on the subject. We have to debate a lot about the subject and we have to clarify a lot about the subject so that people know what the subject is like. What has the revolution done and how has it advanced and what does it intend
2: to do in the future? How does the discussion of racial identity and racism relate to the question and challenges of the development of democracy within socialist Cuba?
0: Public policies in Cuba are universal. We have to start by saying that. They are not public policies for a specific sector. Public policies in Cuba for society are universal. Everyone has the right to participate in those public policies and to receive benefits. And no one can stand in the way of that. Now, increasingly, Cuban society is participating more and more in debating those policies. Well, you know that there was an extraordinarily interesting debate on the Constitution. And now there is a very strong debate on the family code, which is the code of families. Because in Cuba, we want to broaden the concept of family. And there has been a debate on the problem of homosexuality, in which we have made considerable progress. Because one of the problems that exists in our machismo culture and machismo has received a big blow. Homosexual people cannot be prevented from studying. They cannot be prevented from acquiring a university degree. They cannot even be prevented from joining the party. None of that can be prevented. This means that the field of freedom for the citizen is widening more and more, and within this widening field, racial discrimination is being increasingly dethroned from the place it had before in Cuban society. That is to say, little by little, a legal social situation is being created in Cuba that is cornering racism and racial discrimination. Because if you can't prevent a black person from going to university, you can't prevent him from going to see a doctor for free. You can't stop him from participating in a cultural activity. If you can't stop any of that, the possibility of cornering the black person disappears, and the possibility of discriminating disappears. One day, I'm standing near my sister's house buying candy for my niece. In front of me is a white man more or less with his books in his hand, just like me, more or less dressed just like me. And the girl who is serving him is serving him most kindly, most solicitously. And when it's my turn to buy, the girl says to me, what do you want? And I said to her, you know, that is not the way to address me, not even if you knew me well. And she realized what I was saying and didn't know where to put her face. So it means that these phenomena exist. These phenomena exist, and they exist in Cuban society, but they are not phenomena that are in any way indicating that we are not making progress. We move forward because we detect these phenomena and fight against them. And from the point of view of what happens in Cuba, what happens in the United States, for example, where the black person is discriminated against and beaten by the police for the mere fact of being black, this does not happen in Cuba. In Cuba, this does not really happen. In Cuba, the black person officially, unofficially there may be someone who mistreats him, but officially he is treated the same as any other citizen with all the capabilities and all the possibilities. So it means that we are making progress in this sense and that we have gradually managed to place the issue in the place where it should be, regardless of the fact that sometimes we may come across people who do not even accept the issue, who do not even want it to be talked about and were simply not interested in talking about the problem. And that is the reason why it is also necessary to mobilize the Blacks themselves to participate in this debate, and to participate in this discussion, and to give themselves their place and to do as I did that day, react to a situation in which you
2: feel you are being discriminated against. Stephen, you've been very direct in proposing to the Cuban government uh, specifically to the Ministry of Foreign Relations the need to colorize, not racialize, to colorize uh, statistics about the extraordinary developments of the Cuban Revolution. And as I understand it uh, with a rationale that although the Cuban Revolution has done some extraordinary things, one does not really know in precise terms uh, the developments on a positive side without looking at the question of color And therein, recognizing based on the colorization of policies to understand what is yet to be done uh, in the Cuban Revolution with regard to domestic and democratic policies of recognition, respect, and material development. Would you elaborate more on that?
0: Of course. I say that in an article I have called the challenges of color. Our national statistics have to include skin color. Why skin color? Because black and white are not the same. Blacks and whites are not the same. Blacks, whites, mestizos are not equal. Blacks and mestizos have certain problems that whites do not have, regardless of the fact that a white person can also be discriminated against. But he will never be discriminated against because of his color. He will perhaps be discriminated against because of his social condition. A black person can be discriminated against because of his color. So the statistics have to factor in skin color because I am not interested in being told that there is 3% unemployment in Cuba. I'm interested in being told who those unemployed are, what color they are, and where they are. Because if we are really going to work against racial discrimination, the economic statistics have to be colored, and the demographic statistics have to be colored. Today, it is possible to have statistics to know how many Blacks there are here, how many there, How many whites here? How many there? This is important because Cuban society is a multicolored society. But within this multiculturalism, there are disadvantages. And to really know if society is advancing, we have to know that black and mestizo people are also advancing. From the cultural, educational, social care, and public policy point of view, we have to know this. We have to know that there is a 5% unemployment rate. Who are those unemployed? Are they blacks, whites, or mestizos? And in which companies are they? And I am interested in knowing how many black lawyers there are in Guinness. And how many black doctors are there in Cuba? And how many blacks are there in Matanzas? That interests me. That is an important piece of information because it is not possible to lead a nation politically without knowing that, without having that information, because that becomes a phenomenon of discrimination. When you are not in the statistics, you are discriminated against. When you are not considered in the statistics, you are discriminated against. I once did some work at the university on researchers and faculty. There were 1,200 professors, and only 10% of those 1,200 professors were black and mestizo. But when I went to the categories of tenured professor, assistant professor, and researcher, there were far fewer. And when I went to doctoral degrees, there were far, far, far fewer. And I took that work and I put it on the rector's table. And when the rector saw that, the work came to a political discussion of cadre. So that's an important method. Why is it important? Because society has to move forward and make stops. To say that society advances, it has to advance with all its components and all the components of a society do not have the same advantages and disadvantages. Because every society was born with its advantages and disadvantages. In Cuba, Cuba was born with slavery and great disadvantages that are carried over from slavery are carried over from slavery for blacks and mestizos. Whites carry over other disadvantages for other reasons.
2: In this current moment of development, ideologically and politically, and with respect uh, to democracy, what critical perspectives do you feel that citizens, uh, the Communist Party and the government should bring with respect to the challenges and the advancement of Cuban socialism?
0: Well, we have at this moment in Cuba, a complex situation. From the economic point of view, first of all, we are fighting for economic growth and to establish the best economic model for Cuba so that the Cuban economy grows. In addition, we also have a cultural debate that the United States is imposing on us. The United States is imposing on us a very strong cultural debate, which I express in my work continuously. In other words, it means that there is aggression on the part of the United States from the cultural point of view. And that aggression also goes to the racial issue. Because that aggression also affects those black people who are not revolutionaries and who do not want socialism in Cuba. This aggression also affects black people who use these problems that we have with color as critical elements against the government. Because if a black woman can die before a white woman dies in childbirth, and so can the child, statistically that is so. And the black man has a shorter life expectancy, the revolutionary government is not to blame for that. It is a problem that is dragging on and everything that is being done is done to try to iron out those differences. And today, the biggest example we have is the problem of COVID-19. We are gradually overcoming the burden and the work that has been done. And for us, little by little, we are overcoming COVID-19 and the work that has been done is extraordinary. Already, more than 85% of the population has been vaccinated and we are starting to give booster vaccines. And in the vaccination campaign, there has been no discrimination. No one dares to discriminate against a Black person in the process of vaccination against COVID-19 because, well, into prison he goes. There are people who are racist and who have these attitudes, but sometimes they do not dare to express them because they know that this is not well seen. Racism and racial discrimination are not well regarded by Cuban society. And that we Black people and mestizos are working and fighting so strongly to address these problems, and that no one can use it as an element to maintain racism and
2: discrimination. That is not possible. David in your view, uh, what role should young leftists and socialists at this moment play in uh, the development of Cuban socialism? And how do you feel that the government and the Cuban Communist Party should respond to those who try to undermine or overthrow the majority vote expressed in the Cuban constitution in support of socialism as the basic direction of the country.
0: Well, in Cuba, a person can give whatever opinions they want. If there is someone who doesn't agree with the constitution in a committees for the defense of the revolution meeting, he can stand up and say that he doesn't agree with the constitution. And for that, I am not going to go to jail. There is freedom of opinion and freedom of worship in Cuba. Everyone can go to the church they want and practice the religion they want. And everyone can speak whatever they want, wherever they want. As long as it does not violate anyone's rights, or that my rights end where the rights of others begin. So I cannot violate the rights of others. And all that is being debated. Now the family code is being debated and a series of laws are being debated that are going to be very important for the country and people can vote for or against it. The majority has to be respected. And if the majority says so-and-so, that has to be respected and it goes to the laws. And whoever breaks those laws has to answer for that. Because we live in a society that is a democratic society of laws, which is a society even more democratic than others. Because here, the laws are discussed and then approved by referendum. As far as I know, in the United States, no law is passed by referendum, and there are many societies in the world where laws are not passed by referendum. In Cuba, laws are approved by referendum. The Cuban constitution was approved in a referendum. The family code is going to be approved in a referendum, and if it is not approved, it is not approved, and it does not become law. But if it is approved, it has to be respected and has to be complied with. And I think that is the way it is. And if we have a government resolution that is to fight racism and racial discrimination, we also have laws that punish racism. If there is a person who behaves racist towards another person, and that is public knowledge, that person has to answer for that. He has to answer for that as he would answer for having stolen what is not his, because laws are law. I do not believe that in Cuba, there is a need for a racial law. I believe that the existing laws and the constitution are enough and that we have to work continuously so that those laws are applied and so that public policies benefit all citizens. Something that the government will not oppose and the person
2: who opposes that will have to suffer the consequences. From your perspective as an Afro-Cuban citizen who is a member of the Cuban Communist Party, what role do you feel that foreigners, particularly in the United States, and across the Caribbean and Latin America, uh, should play in regard to solidarity as connected to the racial issues that we have discussed today.
0: Disseminate the Cuban reality from that point of view, because there are many people who distort the Cuban reality, who tell lies about the Cuban reality, who attack the Cuban reality, and they do not do it with truths. They do it by distorting the reality. So the first thing to do is to disclose what is being done in Cuba in relation to this issue. The attitude of the government in relation to this issue. The attitude of intellectuals in relation to this issue in Cuba. The attitude of the citizens in relation to this issue as truths. Why? Because slavery. Because Spanish colonialism was weak on race. It accepted us a little more. It discriminated against a little less. That's for sure. And then, it was not like what happened to the Blacks in the United States, who are ultimately killed in the street. Therefore, a Black person in North America has to have a very strong racial conscience. We do not have it. We have to strengthen it. In order to really solve the problem of racism in Cuba, I tell you about the little war, the so-called Guerrita 12, in which they killed a lot of Black people in Cuba. It is unknown. There is no knowledge of a person being killed for being black or a person demonstrating in the street because a black person was killed. While in the United States, that has happened with tremendous frequency. That has not happened in Cuba. So the black person does not have that consciousness. He needs a greater racial consciousness. Our racial consciousness has to be strengthened because racial consciousness is needed to fight racism.
2: Thank you Esteban. Anything else you'd like to add?
0: Well. Actually, it seems to me that I have said everything I thought, and I have thought about everything I have said as well. And I know that there is a certain lack of understanding, and that my word has to serve to know that this problem in Cuba, although we have advanced, we still have it. And we continue working against it, and with the support of the organizations and the government of the republic, which is also concerned about this problem within the Cuban society being resolved. And that is why a lot is being done with cultural work. A lot is being done with the possibility of seeking opportunities for everyone, and a lot of work is being done so that Black people do not feel discriminated against and can use the opportunities, etc. That is the reality. That is the only thing I would like to end with. That. And thank you for this interview.
1: Thank you for watching this interview between author, militant, social scientist, Esteban Morales Dominguez, and James Counts Early. In this interview, Esteban discussed the process of what Fidel called the revolution within the revolution, meaning how do the Cuban people consolidate and advance the achievements made since 1959? From the proposed revisions to the Family Code to how to address race and discrimination, Esteban talked about the -the on-the-ground details of how to facilitate a participatory democracy through neighborhood spaces for debate and referendums. Finally, Esteban reminds us that real solidarity means disseminating the truth about Cuba and the Cuban people, their successes, their challenges, their creativity, and their firm determination to continue the process of revolution. Subscribe to our YouTube channel to see future episodes and discussions, and check out our political education platform to read more about the concepts in this episode. Go to politicaleducation.peoplesforum.org. Thank you, and see you next time.
0: Where you gonna be standing when it comes?